Hello and welcome to Game of Moans, the podcast where we are re-watching Game of Thrones an episode at a time and ripping the flesh off their bones like a hungry dire wolf. I am Chris Bolton. With me as always, our very own mountain, Mr. Mark Williams. Hello. Uh, and we're on to season four, episode two, The Lion and the Rose. Um, I thought this episode was next week for some reason. I, I, I was I convinced I thought... this was episode three. I thought it was this one, and then I was about halfway through this episode and thought, fuck, am I wrong? Is it next week? Um, because, I mean, this, uh, we've talked about some scenes being written in two halves and things like that in the past, but this very much feels like an episode written in two halves, whereby you have all the really boring shit, yeah. and, then, and then one really, really convoluted sequence, which is quite clever. Yeah, I, I've got a lot to say about that sequence, actually, um, it, in general and in terms of its its technicality. Um Mostly good stuff, um, but just just to kind of frame it before we jump into it. In general, I think this episode was the first one that really made me sit up and go, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, that, that really made me take notice. Then, if you like, which you know we're, we're halfway through the run almost, but yeah, when things have when these shock events, um, well, fuck it, it's we can like spoil it now people have watched this episode, it this. Fine, yeah, yeah when these shock deaths happen then in this show um i've had a lot to say about how most of the time you know even when we look at the red wedding how it was so so beautifully orchestrated and put together but the death itself meant nothing and came out of nowhere this was the first one that truly felt earned to me but that i didn't see coming I oh, yeah. really didn't see it coming. Um, so this this episode kind of swept me off my feet first time around. And, that, and you know, as we've said in, in previous episodes as well, it goes to show what this show is capable of when it's firing on all cylinders. But we'll save all of that till we get to it. Um, that, that, I guess that just frames that a little bit. Let's, let's dive straight in because that was all far too positive. So I feel like <laughs> I'm going to take shit on something. Um, like the opening scene here, um, is is kind of good. It's it's kind of they kind of almost get away with it, but they botch it by way of using an establishing shot yet yeah. again. Why not cut straight into the girl running away? Like well, get a close no up of feet or a face or whatever you want. But yeah, like pun intended, cut to the fucking chase. Literally, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Throw yeah, us it's... into the action. Yeah, because I mean, you had it, and I'm, I'm assuming, and I, I don't, I, I'm not sure, but I think they're the two whores we had, or the two girls. They we are, had. they are, yes. Yeah. Um, um, the, the one that's being hunted is, is the one who didn't want to be naked. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, back, I mean, make of that what you will. Yeah. Like we, we talked in length about that at the time, but uh, I guess yeah. there's an argument that you can say this is in character, but that this just really reinforces the disgusting misogyny of this show doesn't it <laughs> really yeah. um, um you know get naked or you get hunted basically yeah no, we'll, we'll kill you off early um again doesn't i don't really see the need for this scene um no I, there is there is no need for it whatsoever I other mean, than it reintroduces us to yeah we didn't Reek, see we didn't see um, ramsey and reef last week did we um so it's, it's reintroducing them however the next scene where um, uh, Roos arrives at Winterfell and Ramsay greets him and all the rest of it, that sequence reintroduces them absolutely perfectly. You don't need this scene at yeah, all. Yeah, you, you don't need this. And and the only, I mean, the only reason for it to be here is to give us a, 
a sort of a pacey opening. Um, but yeah. they they botch it. If they hadn't, actually, I think this would have been one of the better openings of the of the show. You know, if if it had come in to the chase, you know, if we come in on a close up of of the girl running away and just thrown us into the action with some sort of shaky hand cam, then yeah, this this could have been really good. Um, yeah. And and you know, the scene is pretty good. It's yeah, just, it's just unnecessary. It's, yeah, and and they botch it by giving us a fucking long-winded establishing shot. Now, having said all of that, um, well, no, I, I guess you know we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it when when we get more detail with with Reek in the next scene. Um, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about Reek. Um, I try uh, not I, to think about Reek to be honest. Yeah, um, it, it's just very odd. Um, but obviously, we we see him in this scene. Um, but we, I, I think we'll talk about that in more depth when we come on yeah. to the, to the main scene where we introduce him. Um, however, the cut from Reek to the sausage is awesome. Yes, very very good. Um, that was a spit take from me at that point. Mm. Um, very good. Very well, it was, it was one of those. I, I was wondering when I watched it whether it was intentional or whether it was just a cut on action. It's a hundred percent intentional. It's... Generally, I would say yes, but with the show, I'm never quite sure. No, no, it's a hundred percent intentional. And to be fair, one of the things I'm going to praise quite a lot throughout this episode is the craft of its storytelling. Um, its its direction is is good. Is very good. Like the, there's some skillful storytelling in this episode, and, and there's a prime example of it there. There's a, there's a classic callback. Um, and yeah, it's just good. It's just good, good stuff. That um, we, we get this this sort of short scene then with with Jamie and Tyrion, which is which is lovely. Um, their yes. relationship is is complete juxtaposition to Jamie and Cersei last week. The yeah. complete opposite. Tyrion is happy to see him, and they do have a close bond. Um, and and he kind of I feel always brings the best out in Jamie. Um, but we get a lot of character info again um, in the little things that Jamie does. You know, he spills the wine yeah. and insists on cleaning it up himself. Yes. Um, he made the mess. He will clean it up. Yeah. You know, um, again, all about his deeds and what he does and his honor. You know, he's not going to let someone else rectify his mistake. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we get this relatively short scene with, with him and Tyrion, actually. But it, it's 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 good um yeah, it, it, it helps again helps put him on that redemptive path you know he's been pushed away by cersei he's been pushed away by tywin and now here's the good lannister if you like um yeah. kind of putting him on the right path um and of course sending him off to spar with bron which all the scenes with these two and, and there's not many of them over the course no. of the season but they're all just amazing um yeah, and, and i mean it's, it's it's a typical bronze scene as well you've got the um the comic effect straight away where um he's talking about fucking another nice wife and if they can't hear her screaming then they're not going to hear them sparring that no that's that's like relief it's comic but then the thing that really struck me with this is that um he's teaching jamie how to fight dirty Basically, he's, he said, oh, no, that, that's, that's something I do off no, striking when a, a, a man's back is turned. He said, well, that's the best fucking time to strike. And yeah. he, you know, he's teaching him what he likes to know. It's it's not all fucking knights and jousting and duels and shit. Sometimes you've got to get down and dirty and get in the mud. And that's what Jamie's always lacked. He's always, you know, it's always been very honourable and very controlled. And when I kill you, I'm going to look you in the eye when I do it. In reality, somebody like Bron wouldn't give two fucks. He'd just, you know, just whack you across the back and back of the head as soon as the front. Um, but the thing I really liked with it is that um, Jamie gets his sword knocked out of his hand. He gets bested time and time again. And he keeps going back and keeps going back. And the, the scene closes and said, come on, then let's go. 
and he launches into it again. And again, you sort of see this this drive, this determination, whereby in earlier seasons you haven't really seen that from Jamie, but he certainly did last season. Um, as he was, uh, as sort of, you had the um, the sequences leading up to him coming home, so when he rescued Brienne from the bear and all the rest, of it. we we start to see this 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 side of his character, where it's like, actually, yeah, I've got a point to prove. I'm going to fucking well prove it because my name's Lannister, so people are going to expect certain things. I'm not going to rest on my laurels. I'm not going to rest on the fact I'm a Kingslayer. I'm going to get back out and get on, my, you know, get on the horse and go again. I'm going to pick my sword up and start fucking swinging it, whether I can or not. And it's, yeah. it's, it's just a really nice character beat for him, where it just again it just shows him evolving. And yes, I really definitely. Liked it. There is growth week after week for Jamie, and there has been since, you know, last season. Really, he's he's been on this path. Um, yeah. And and it, yeah, it, as you say, we. You have to look for it. It's there for you, but you have to look for it. What they are not doing now is explicitly spelling it out to us with exposition. And thank God for that, because this kind of character transformation and this kind of redemptive arc, like probably every maybe once a season, I guess, if you want to, you can get away with a big grandiose speech. Yeah. For, you know, and pitch to the stalls. But if you do that all the time, it'll feel hollow. Yeah. If if we go on the journey with him, which we're doing here, and, and we're able to empathise with him and emote, then it'll that character will just connect with us all the more. I think, and it helps pairing him with Bron. You know, I like all of the stuff with them together because I like both of them a yeah. great deal. Um, and as you say, they're perfectly juxtaposed. You know, Bronn essentially a sellsword and, and Jamie a man of honour. So they've each got something to teach the other. So the pairing of them both is great. They work very, very well together. And it's because the work has been put in with both of those characters. You know, by this point, we have an understanding of who Bronn was and who he is now because yeah. he's changed and grown as well. Yeah, and definitely. we know who Jamie was and who he is now. And we can understand how both of those paths can come together and they can learn from each other so i i feel like this stuff um throughout throughout the season and as i say there's not too much of them um but it's always enjoyable um yeah so and I, th- yeah. I think as well i mean jamie in season three there was a lot of him and there's yes. a lot no there's a lot made of his um historians where not where he he tried to escape then he did escape with well no, he, he did escape then he got captured again and he escaped with brienne and they went on the run and they were hunted and they were delivered back to king's land and all this sort of stuff we had a lot of screen time with Jamie, and then from memory, I think this season is less, um, and I think it gives us a chance. We get these snippets, these bits of character work, because it's not always in front of us. We get the time to go, oh right, okay, yeah, he was doing that, wasn't he? Right, yeah. how's that going? And we just get to sort of catch up with him rather than following, following him step for step. Um, and I think that's good because I mean, if if we look at this the way that um, George R. R. Martin intended, whereby this is the start of a new trilogy, this is the start of a whole new segment of, of the books, then we don't want to be doing the same thing again. We don't want to be starting, I don't know, starting book one again. Um, yeah. So this is a good chance to really move, you know, to move, drive on other people and really move into other things. The uh, same with, um, same with Joffrey's death. Um, that no, it's 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 a it's a big shock, and it, you know, people didn't see it coming. But it then gives us the opportunity to say, right, well, how? What are the ramifications of that? Because Ned died, didn't mean fuck all. Rob died, who cares? This is this is kind of right at the start of the season this is going to carry some weight. And because so many of our principal cast are involved in it, um, obviously you've done Cersei's, Cersei's there, Tywin's there, Jamie's there, Tyrion's there, Sansa's there, um, Varys is there, uh, Oberyn Martell is there, Brienne is there. All of a sudden, we're, fuck, right, okay, there's all these people could be involved in this. There's loads of stuff that can hang on this. Uh, yeah. And now we've got the next eight episodes to work on that. So it's, 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 quite, it's quite an interesting way of setting up. And 
I, I was quite glad of it because I mean the, the first after the first season they, they got kind of formulaic. You know, you knew that you know, we knew where your peaks and troughs were going to be. You knew absolutely that episode nine was going to be the thing, and then episode ten was going to be a sort of a slow descent into into the next season. So by doing it right at the start, I think they've really no, they've really turned it on its head as well. Yeah, um, there is much like last season. Um, there is a lot of setup going on here early on, and, yeah. that, and that's that's fine. That's how this should work. Um, so, I mean, I, and speaking of that, you know, we we go over to the Boltons, mm. um, and I've got a lot to say about this scene. I don't really know what order best to attack it in, but um, well, let's let's start with with some of the the good. Um, I mean, Roos dressing Ramsey down. Yes, is very reminiscent of of Tywin talking to his own children. You know, there's there's a clear parallel there. Yes, and it works very well because of that. You know, again, yes, they, I guess they've now overtaken the Lannisters as kind of our main bad guys. Um, uh, you know, they they mustache twirling bad guys. Well, by yeah, this that's point. it. But you know, in in Roos dressing Ramsay down again, we we get to peel back those layers just like we do with Tywin and understand that actually he's not entirely evil he just knows what he wants and will do whatever it takes to get it yeah. um, Ramsey however is a little fuckwad and just he's, doesn't think yeah he's just some sort of path isn't he whether he's a psychopath a sociopath or something in between he yeah he just like he's an agent of chaos yeah, um, and, and and I mean fuck what in the best possible yeah, term. Completely. You know, I don't I don't mean that as an insult. As as we no, he's he's not a theon fuck what. He's a proper fuck what. Yeah, he's he's an absolute twat. Um, but in the best possible way. Um, yeah, because it's not through it, with theon. It was through his idiocy and his arrogance. Whereas Ramsey knows exactly what he's doing. He knows he's a cunt. Yeah, and he doesn't really give a fuck. No, he he owns his cuntishness. Yeah. Um, and so he's one of the first characters in the show to actually do that. Yes, yeah. Um, so I like the stuff between him and Roos, and I like the way um, that it, it kind of he Roos essentially gives him a mission, gives him purpose. Yes, um, and he kind of throws it straight back in his face, saying, "Actually, I do know what I'm doing. Watch." And yeah. he demonstrates what he's done with Theon. You know, so there's there's already a power play going on between the two of them. Yes, um, which which is great. That's all good. Everything with Reek, yeah. Theon, whatever you want to call him. Look, I, I just, I have a huge issue with Reek. I mean, Reek's not a character, okay, no. but he's treated like one, and I have a huge issue with that. Okay, first and foremost, the transformation, if you like, from Theon to Reek happens entirely off screen. Yes, I mean, I think we talked about it last season, didn't we? I think he, yeah, he punched him in the face three times, and that was it. Yeah, so his breaking of Theon happens entirely off screen. So, like, bearing in mind, Theon is my least favorite character anyway. Yeah. The fact that he's been broken off screen, like, I could give less than two fucks about Reek. Like, well, this is this is it. Like, this whole thing that you know we we're supposed to feel, you know, we're, we're supposed to see as a bit of a threat at this point because you know Ramsey's all cocksure. Yes, I've no, I've trained him, I've broken him, whatever else, and he gets him to shave him. And we get this thing whereby, you know, Reek's hands, no, Reek doesn't give it the second thought. He's just you know, doing exactly what he's told because he's, he's afraid or whatever else. And then he said, oh, 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 yeah, by the way, didn't I tell you, your mate Rob, Rob Stark's dead? Yeah, my father stabbed him in the heart. Fuck you, bitch. And we get this bit where Theon looks at him and then carries on shaving him. It's like, well, hang on. This is, see, this this is, is not Theon. Thing. Theon would have cut his fucking throat and then no. got himself yeah. shot full of arrows. 
I, but he would, he would have he would have acted impossibly and got himself killed. Killed, but yeah. He, and I've actually written that in my notes. You've, we've, I'm glad we've both got that because there's actually, and they play for this as well. There is a reaction from Reek yeah. to Ramsey when he gets that news. It hits home. You can see that he understands that. Yeah. So Which means Theon he's not fucking broken. Still in there. Yes. yes. So yeah, as you said, why not slit his fucking throat? Moreover, while the two of them are basically bickering about him earlier on, he's in the room. Yeah. He can hear the whole conversation. Like and and Theon especially, being the conniving little cunt that he was, like he should be making a play here. Like yeah. he's got skin in the game. That he's he's hearing his name mentioned. Time and, and both, time and time again as well. It's not, it's, he, not, it's not just once, it's repeated. No, he knows he's valuable to them. He knows that he's able to facilitate what Ramsay wants. Yeah. Like, I do not understand this storyline. And maybe it's me, listeners, okay? But if someone out there actually understands how this is supposed to work, maybe there's huge chunks of the book missing. I don't know. Yeah, that was my that was going to be my assumption. By all there's means, a lot more work on it in the book. Explain it to me because this makes absolutely no sense. And because of that, I really don't give a flying fuck about Reek. I hate him. He is mm. like all along I've said I hate Theon and I do but I hate Reek Theon even more the, like, the problem the is Reek Theon, Reek Theon is, in, is insignificant that's the problem yes to the it, like at least Theon you could hate because he was a cunt Reek yes. is nothing he's he's nothing and it just he makes my fucking skin crawl when yeah. he's on the screen I hate him I hate him so much no I remember having an argument and um not going to uh, go into detail because it'll give too much away, but I remember having an argument with somebody when season seven finished or season eight was just starting. Um, and they were talking about Theon and Reek and a redemption arc and all that sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, it's not, no, it's to me, it was never there because the whole Reek thing was just pointless. Totally pointless and totally nonsensical. Yeah. It makes absolutely no logical sense that he would be reacting the way he reacts now. If We'd have seen his breaking, yes, and we could understand it. Then maybe, well, maybe it, we could I mean, understand we... why he's the way he is. Yeah, because I mean, we don't, we don't also see his unbreaking, his coming back together. No, it's just again, it's another. I need to snap my fingers. I'm sorry. Um, it's just another snap decision that happens where all of a sudden, and again, I won't go into details of when it happens and stuff, but all of a sudden, oh right, okay, I'm back. What I miss, bitches. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hello. And it's, all of a sudden he's no, but you know, okay, he doesn't go back to being cockroach Theon because he hasn't got a cock anymore. But he goes back to being Theon. He's still yeah. a stupid little fucker with uh, no delusions of grandeur and thinking he's he's important in a big political game. And it's just like, well, okay, the last couple of seasons didn't happen. You were never weak. You didn't have your balls cut off because you're still a stupid little cunt. You were. Yeah, it's it is without a doubt. And I can say this confidently, bearing in mind everything we've talked about and everything that's to come. It is without a doubt the absolute worst part of this show is yeah. the Reek storyline. It is utter horseshit. Yes. Utter, utter horseshit. I despise it. Um, so. The thing is, I mean, for me, the, the biggest problem I have is that it adds absolutely fucking nothing. Nothing. nothing to any whatsoever. of the story, any of the main story strands, it adds nothing. No. It's it's utter bollocks, and it just frustrates me to the point where you know he'll 
like constantly be challenged now over the course of the next couple of seasons. And every time I'm just like, for fuck's sake, Theon, yeah, sort your fucking self out. Yeah, grow up here. No pun intended. <laughs> um, just fucking sort you like. Yeah, there's absolutely no excuse for him not at least making an attempt. Like, here, look, here's how you fix this to start with, okay? You can introduce him earlier on, and we can see that he's he's afraid and what have you. Yeah. Then you get the reaction to Rob's name, and he's holding a razor. Have him just make a play, and, like, it can go wrong, okay? And he can get beaten for it and tortured, right? At least then we'll understand why in future he doesn't make a play. Yeah. And that's an easy fix. Come on, just show us this stuff. You know, I don't care about seeing fucking 10 pairs of tits a week. Show me this stuff. Oh, is it just me or are we low on the tit count this week? We are pretty low on the tit count this week, yeah. Um, there's no time over with Danny to start with, is there? So yeah, that's true. Oh, I think she's and, into a new contract now, so I don't think it tits come out anymore. Yeah, and, and there's just there's very little whoring as well. Um, yeah. It's, it's almost like they care a bit more about the story than that this week. Yeah. Um, well, speaking one, of whores... The defense didn't write or direct it, so, yeah. You know. oh, there you go. Oh, that... That tells me a lot. I didn't clock that this week, actually. Yeah, George yeah. R. R. Martin wrote this episode, and Alex Graves wrote, uh, directed it. Uh, there you go. That that tells you a lot, then, because I've got a lot to say about the writing towards the end. So there you go. Um, now, yeah, speaking of whores, um, the the way the threat to Shay is handled, I thought, was, was excellent as well. And it, there you go, talking about the writing as well. Yeah. Um, very clever. The, the scenes are a little bit too close together for my liking, but there's a lot to do in this episode, and yes. I, can, I can kind of understand why they've done that. But well, the thing is, it's kind of like a half episode as well, isn't it? Because the yes. second half, the second sort of thirty-two minutes or whatever it was, it's the it's one sequence in, yeah, and, in more or less real time. So they had to t- they had to get a whole episode's worth into this into this into first this. half. And of course, this this storyline with Shay can't run through that. It has to be done first. So I yes. understand why the scenes are so close together, but they are very well handled. You know, we get the tip off from Varys first, yeah, so that we as an audience know what's going on. Yes. So his drama, the, the actual drama I for a fucking out. change. Um, yeah, it's very very good. Um, and then the the scene with Tyrion, um, it. <sighs> I don't know what to make of it. Um, I want to like the scene because I like the two characters and their relationship and it feels natural for them to have this fight. But Tyrion trying to bullshit her doesn't just doesn't ring true. No, that's me. right. That was my problem with it. Is I can I can see what they try to do. And I can see. I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's, it's trumpy as all hell. But, you know, you, you, you pick a fight because you don't want to be honest. Yes. Um, but of all the characters we've got and all the relationships that we've seen in the show so far, it's the one that won't stand up to that level of scrutiny. Yeah, Because absolutely. they've always been, no, it's always been completely upfront. She it's always knew who he was. He always knew who and what she was. And they didn't care. It didn't matter. And that's always been the thing of their relationship. And there's always been threats. There's always been danger. Then all of a sudden it's like, right, yeah, okay, now, lassie, go home. I don't want you anymore. It, it's clearly bullshit. And... Yeah. I think Peter Dinklage does his best to try and convey it, hmm. but it, it it just doesn't quite come up. I, I kind of feel like Tyrion respects her too much to even try it, and she certainly knows better than to listen to it. Well, yeah, because I mean, we had it a couple of weeks, uh, I think it was the end of last season, wasn't it, where Varys tried to buy her off with diamonds and told her yeah. to leave and all the rest of it. And again, she was straight away was like, fuck that, I'm not having that. That's not that's not right, that's not true. I don't believe it. You know, if he wants me to leave, he needs to tell me. 
But he, no, this, and that's exactly what he does. And she told him last week, well, if you want me to go, you need to tell me. So he tells her, but you I mean, fucking hell, Stevie Wonder can see you don't mean it. Yeah, it, it's weird. But in the kind of little sort of trio of scenes we have here, this little triptych that we have, um, it's kind of, it's not bad enough that it ruins the scene before, which I really liked, and and then the, the kind of end of this scene and the payoff, which I really like. It's just yeah. this kind of weird little bit in the middle that just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I, and, and, I, and I don't think, as I say, I, I don't think it's Peter Dinklage's fault. I think he's doing the best with what he's got, and I certainly think he's been directed as competently as you can handle this scene. I think this comes from the writing, which is weird when I've just said that, you know, it's been set up perfectly. And I think they just kind of rushed it. It's just one of it's just one of those weird character turns again, isn't it? Where they just kind of feel like that's what they should do. Yeah. Whereas actually I think and I can't speak for George R. R. Martin, never met the guy. Um, but I know personally as a writer, when you really know your characters and when you're when things are really clicking, when you've connected with a project, when you when your muse is in gear, your characters will tell you what they need to do. And they will tell you when something is wrong. And I'm I aware think... that may sound vaguely psychopathic um, or vaguely. schizophrenic. Not um, vaguely at all. Um, I think the problem with it is, is that he, he, yeah, the problem is, if you were to say that of George R. R. Martin and the books, you'd probably be right. But this isn't, this isn't that, this isn't that product. No, it's a and, TV show. Yeah. I mean, you, I almost got the impression, and I don't know whether it was Martin or whether it was the Wonder Twins having the final say over everything or the director, but they've gone, yeah, yeah, skip all this boring shit. We want to get to the good stuff. We want to get to the main event. We want to get this big set piece that we beat, you know, that we built our, we're hanging our entire season on. We want to get to that. So fuck all this shit off. Quick as you can, off you go. Get through it and we can get on to the good stuff. Maybe. Maybe it is that. And as I say, it's certainly that this storyline needs to be out of the way to yes. get to the end of this episode. Um, so maybe it is just a, a clumsy trope and a way to say, okay, this is how we deal with that. Look, it certainly works. It's functional. I can't complain about that. It does I think what it that's needs the best to you can describe it as, though, is functional. But it's odd. It doesn't ring true to the character for me. And uh, as we said, them, no, oh no, definitely not. And and as we've said several times in the past, unfortunately, on this show, that's never a priority for them. And I just find that weird, especially when the creator of these characters has written this. Like to me, if that was one of my characters, uh, if Tyrion was mine, then for instance. Um, and it felt out of character, I would know, and I just wouldn't be able, I just wouldn't be able to do it. I would hit writer's block. Um, yeah. That's just me. As I say, can't speak for Martin, but that that's just me. When it's wrong, a character will tell you that it's wrong. Yeah. Um, assuming you've done all the groundwork and you know them, of course. Well, that's it, because, I mean, generally, by, the, by this stage, I mean, we're 32 episodes in at this point, so we are approaching the midpoint of the run, that... You will, if you know the characters well enough, you write them into this sort of hole, you will not know how to get them out of it. No, and that is your character saying, I wouldn't act like this. Yeah. And you and just have when to... When you can't turn them around and throw just, them away. Yeah, you just need to sit down and center yourself and connect with that character again. Go back to who they are and how would they react in that situation. And that's how you dig yourself out. But they haven't. They've kind of punched through here. Yeah. Eventually, though, Shay does stick the landing. She does pull us out of this this kind of nosedive that we're in and and land yeah. the scene she absolutely breaks my fucking heart at the end of this scene she's this, she's yeah. superb. Her, her breakdown is fantastic 
She breaks my heart, and I, but and even more so, I absolutely fucking love that she just full on wails on Bron, just slaps yes. him straight across the face, and leaves on her own accord. Yes, just, it's on her own terms. Fuck you. If I'm going, I'm going on my terms, yeah. not now, yours. I, now I watched this episode about two and a half, three hours ago, so it's still fairly fresh in my memory. But it's been bugging me since I watched it. What I'm trying to equate this scene to, and it's just fucking hit me. It's the bit in um, Bigfoot and the Hendersons. Where they take wow. him out of the woods and fuck him off. Wow, now there's a fucking pull. Um, no, it's, it's, it's one of those... I, I mean, I saw that film when I was really fucking young. Um, and it's always had no... It's, it's always had a bit of weight, that scene, whereby they, you know, where they send him away because you know, for his own good, but he doesn't see it, all that sort of stuff. And th- this, scene, this scene has been bugging me for the last couple of hours because I couldn't fucking put my finger on it. And I've just, I've just thought of it. It's just come to me. There you go. Um, for our... Uh, American viewers, that would be Harry and the Harry Hensons. Harry and the Hensons, yeah. So Big, yeah. Bigfoot and Hensons was the series, wasn't it? Yeah, it, I think the film over here was Bigfoot and the Hendersons as well, actually. Okay. Um, I think it was one of those weird... I, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember which, one, which way it was. But, um, yeah. yeah, I figured you'd know what I was talking about. Yeah, oh, yeah, I absolutely know what you're talking about. Yeah, Prime, what, John, Prime John Lithgow. Yeah, what a, <laughs> what a pull that is. Um, so, yeah, weird, weird little scene. Um, but we just about get away with it. Not as weird, though as the horrible cut to Stannis. Um, yeah. What the fuck was that? Like, what a weird, weird cut. Um, now, I'm wondering if it was motivated by an outbreak. It, uh, now, that would make sense because... Because there's it no, jarred the fuck out of me. There's no context to the cut. And now, this is American TV. I don't think... This is HBO, though. Does they, they, they have, it's like, yeah. No. Because I know, certainly in this country... Um, when Sky had ads all the fucking time. They yeah. may still do. I don't have Sky TV. As I was watching Game of Thrones streaming on Now TV. Um, but certainly I know when they had ads and they bring American shows in, they had their own rules for, for the ad breaks. And I think it was something like you had to have one every, I want to say every 20 minutes. And it had to, or if it wasn't 20 minutes, it had to be motivated by the narrative. Yeah. That's an actual thing. Like you, you, it had to be a point. Yeah, where you, you can't. You can't there's just, a natural okay, break. Yeah, you can't just go right. There's 20 minutes. Stop in the middle of the scene. It had to be in a natural break. And sometimes, if that was 18 minutes or 22 minutes or whatever, you were allowed to get away with it. Yeah, and, uh, and usually this sort of. But um, if it, if it was a longer one, they'd put one after the credits. You'd have the um, with most shows, you'd have your um, your, your pre credits and your credits, and then before the actual episode started proper, you'd have an ad break. Yes. And then that would allow you to run to about 23, 24 minutes. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, this does kind of feel like that. Like kind of we've had to get, like I said, that, that scene is actually only with, with Tyrion and Shay and, and stuff. was actually only two scenes, I think. But it, it feels like a it feels like a, a little trio yeah. of scenes. Because, because we, we had the bit with Joffrey and the wedding gifts yet. Or was that later? Because I that's, thought that was before Shay. No, that's a bit later, I believe. That all pretty much comes together, I think. Or maybe that's in the middle. It's, it's in the middle because I think she, uh, Cersei, outs her to Tywin. And then we have the whole thing of... That's uh, right. Of Sansa yes. being humiliated yes. and all the rest. Of it. And then that was him breaking up with Shay. That's where I was saying about it being a trio then. Yeah. I just missed that out of my notes. I, I remember thinking there was this little triptych of scenes. that, And, and I liked the way that they all work together. Yes. I just didn't like the stuff with, with Tyrion. And I thought that they were a bit too close. But as I say, I understood 
why they were the way they were. Um, so, so yeah, this this feels like we've just got through a chunk of narrative over in King's Landing, and we're about to cut over to Stannis. So, advert break, and then come back in because otherwise, yes. it is a completely unmotivated cut. Yeah, it has no context whatsoever. Yeah, um, it we just cut into like burning people. Like, well, yeah, I, I mean, this whole fucking sequence. I mean, the, the Lord of Lights that bores the piss out of me, and I've said this before, but this whole sequence. It just feels like it doesn't belong in this episode. It totally does. And the thing is, we don't actually know. Like, okay, we, of course we can guess it's to do with the Lord of Light. But at no point have we really had any context for this. Like, we don't know why Stannis is burning these people. Uh, yeah, so, other than uh, we've seen them do it before. And I, I, is it some sort of reaffirmation? It's like a fucking yeah, it, it is, or something? But, I don't get it. But, but no. when it's been done before, it's had a, a, a lead-in yeah. from Melisandre to say, this is this is why we need to do this. But yeah, now they just and, and when it happens in the future, we'll get that again as yeah. well. And and now it's just like, what's Stannis doing this week? Oh, I don't know. What can he do? Ah, oh, fuck it. I've been burned some people. Yeah. Um, it, but again, they'd be better off just leaving him out this week. Well, either either leave him out, or if you absolutely want to throw this stuff in, because actually there is there is a, a good scene off the back of it. But if you actually wanted this stuff in, here's a perfect place to open the episode. You didn't yeah. really need the reek scene, as we said. So why don't you open on the burning people and then give us the context? Yeah. Again, nice strong opening image. Throw us in in the middle of the scene to catch our attention, and then give us the context off the back of that. That would work. The yeah. way they do it here, and as you say, maybe if this was coming back from an ad break, from a clean break, that might work to throw us straight back into the show. But that's not the case. Mm. So it's a little bit weird this scene. Um, the next scene, though, where where we've got the red lady kind of awkwardly eating dinner and maintaining yeah. pleasure. What a wonderful scene. And she is amazing in it. Like, yeah, her kind um, of awkward smiles. And, oh, she's so good in this Yeah, she's, she's brilliant. I, like, I really like um, Tara Fitzgerald as well um, as, as the wife because she... We didn't, we've only seen her once before and where she, we didn't really get how fucking backcrack crazy she was. Um, whereas in this one, we get a bit more insight into her. Um, and you get the line from... Uh, there's a, a line um, they, they're talking about food and he said oh well cook fish you hate fish I hate lots of things but I, I still suffer through them for years and it's just so fucking pointed yeah, oh, yeah. it was absolutely beautiful and, and uh, meanwhile Melisandre sat there with a smile on her face like an awkward dinner party yeah, guest while like, a couple are having a fight it's, yeah, oh, it's it so good beautiful absolutely fantastic um, yeah I, I really like that this part of the sequence but part no, I mean I don't I, it's filler it feels as though I mean they and so they've got this big sequence, and they've gone, right, okay, well, we've got this big sequence that's going to take us about half an hour. We're only running about yeah. 45 minutes. We need another five minutes of something. It is, but it's it, it's funny, um, or, or at least I found it, it, it funny. That, that scene is funny. The rest of it's not. Well, yeah, the burning people's not. Um, I was say, if but it then, is, you need help. If you find I, that I also feel help. like, actually, it, it does some good work for Melisandre as well. And I think... We haven't really talked about her too much uh, as a character, but I think she. I mean, we had the bit with the uh, the smoke, uh, no, vaginal smoke monster. Yeah, and then that's kind of it. She didn't really do a lot last season. No, I think save Davos from the uh, from the chop. Yeah, I I think she gets. She really does throughout the course of the show. She really gets the short shrift. Um, Yeah, because I mean, she's she's quite a complex character, and again, she's. She is absolutely, positively not evil. She is no. not. She truly believes everything that she's doing is for a greater good. She yeah. is serving a purpose. And and we sort of, the next scene where she goes to see their daughter, you know, she's 
she's very gentle with her you know she's she's actually almost maternal in a lot yeah. of ways like she knows how to speak to a child and to break complex ideas such as religion down to explain them to a child she's a better parent to that child in the next scene than stannis and his wife have been over the entirety of the show so far and of course she gets then to be the direct comparison to the onion knight so you've got the onion knight pulling her in one direction you've got melisandre pulling her in the other neither are particularly wrong and both are gentle with her. Mm. That's never really followed through, unfortunately. But I thought it was a great scene. And it and it really helps add some, just some context to Melisandre. You know, she's not just this crazy woman that shows up half naked and casts spells. Yeah. I mean, my whole problem with her, I mean, up until this point, we don't really know anything about the lord of light apart from the fact they fucking burn people to you know, to appease it um but then we we get snippets of her but then she disappears for fucking weeks on end mm. talks in riddles and now nothing's ever resolved and as we go through i mean as we get to the end of her arc i mean fucking hell, there's gonna be some words there that that whole episode is fraught with issues anyway oh yeah but i mean her just her no as a small example of that her arc just ends without ending it's like, all oh, right, she's done now. Fuck, gone. Yeah, what? I mean, she she serves a purpose, doesn't she? That, that and that's what I mean when I say she gets the short shrift. I think there is a far more complex and interesting character behind her than we're ever allowed to see. Yeah. Um, and this is about the only place so far. There will be points later on in the show as well, but this is the first real point where you can look at her and go, oh, okay, there's something there. Um. I, I find the the magic stuff um, problematic for a lot of reasons, as, as we've said. But that's more to do with the rules of magic in the world. But I also find it some of the more interesting stuff, just like I do with the White Walkers. So this sort of stuff draws me in more, and I am really interested in her as a character. Um, I think it's a shame that, that we don't see more of this, because I, I really enjoyed those two scenes. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, yeah, we get that. And then speaking of rules, uh, we establish the rules for Wargin in the next scene. Um, yeah. uh, apparently, if you do it for too long, you'll just forget everything. Yeah, uh, you, just, no. you just become what you're walking into. That's great, right? I think that's good. We've established some rules. What a perfect thing to use as a lingering threat now yeah. over Bran for the rest of his... T- but it, that's just never bothered with ever again, is it? No, yeah. not, not that I remember. What a perfect way though to nerf wargin do you know what i mean to be like just the same when we've talked about resurrection as well and, and this show doesn't nerf that either but what a perfect way this is to nerf wargin where you can just say oh, well bran can't do it all the time because if he does it all the time he'll just end up stuck in a direwolf's body so yeah. we can only do it when it's really really needed yeah and he's got to learn to control it and all the rest of it. Yeah, so but it, they it gives him some never, purpose, doesn't it? yeah they just never do that do they no not at all so there's a real, I think there's a real missed opportunity there. Um, there's, there I, I mean, there's even there's a whole addiction storyline there if you want to go down that path. Yeah, but the thing is, I mean, as 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 you well know, Bran's story for the next fucking three and a half seasons is entirely bastard and pointless. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, you could not, you could not have it having come back in season eight. And go, oh yeah, remember me? I'm Bran. Hey, yeah. happy days. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there's that with Bran. And then, of course, he has his vision. Um, he has now, his vision where we, we see a shitload of stuff that shouldn't have been a lot of, There is a lot of foreshadowing in his vision. There is. Which does 
sort of at least leads you to believe that some of this stuff is actually planned. Um, well, yeah, and I mean, like, I was, I, I, so I think I said last week on the version I've got, which at the start of the episode, it gives you things. I'll like, stick around at the end to see, you know, a bit of insight, you no know, insight, and all the rest of it. And you have interviews with, you know, um, Ballbag and Dickface, and they were t- they talked about this scene in particular, uh, this sequence. They're saying that, you know, the fact that you've got um, him seeing things he couldn't have possibly seen, like Ned in the dungeon um, before he gets beheaded. Um, he sees um, himself falling from an angle he couldn't have possibly seen himself at. Um, we see a shadow over King's Landing of a dragon, which could be historical or it could be, no, right. it could be foreboding, all this sort of stuff. Stop and, there a minute. Stop there a minute because I've got a note about that, right? Right. Um, sorry to cut you off mid-flow, right. but I might, I might forget otherwise. Um, so I've said about the planning. That fucking model shot with that dragon, though, mm. looks like something a two-year-old did on a fucking iPhone. Yeah. That is, like, we've talked about the maps in this show, but that is fucking inexcusable, that model shot with that. That's fucking terrible. Yeah, that was awful. Um, I, I wasn't going to, I thought you'd bring that up, so I wasn't going to mention it. Um, the thing that got me with that, I mean, seeing this, um, this sitting on this sit down thing with them when they're talking about this episode, you know, how they might, you know, it might be historic, or, you know, because we know there's been dragons in the past, or it might be foreboding somebody else because Danny's got dragons and nobody else knows it and all this shit, and it, you know, who knows, and they tried to be all cryptic with it. And you think you get the impression somebody's written that fucking script for you. You've almost gone off and blown the ending, and you've yeah. had to rein yourself back in. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's yeah, it's no, it's it, it's again, it's just one of those that it, it wasn't necessary. And what what they've done actually is draw attention to the fact that they, that they've not they may have thought it through, but they've not actually gone right. Okay, well, if we're going to do this, we need to make sure it's done properly. We need to make sure it looks right. We need to make sure it's again, it's something that we can follow through on. I mean, all the stuff with the various fucking trees. What's that about? Yeah. Well, where's that? Where's that coming to? You know, there are loads of things which just don't don't pan out, and it's something that's um, unfortunately rife throughout this show. Is that they start things and don't fucking finish them. No, but the dragon flying over King's Landing, the ashes falling on this on the throne. Yeah, all there for you. All there for you. You you people that are complaining about the end, it's all fucking there for you. Yeah. Um, as we've said all along, it's been there since the beginning. Um. So, uh, good and bad in that vision, I think. Uh, yeah, that, yes, it's foreshadowing. It moves, that, it moves that story along. And as I said, there's a lot more they could have done with that story, but they didn't. So, I don't know. It's, it, it moves them on to what they were going to move on to. Yeah, and I appreciate it as a technique. I just, that model shot instantly pulled me out of the show. It's disgusting. Um, so, okay, so then we get into the, the main crux of the episode, okay? We get into the wedding uh, yeah. over over the course of a few scenes um and, and i think up until this point the there's been a couple of missteps that we've, we've talked about already but i think the the storytelling and the, and the direction have been pretty good not great but pretty good and there have been some high points and some low points i think from here on out though with the red wedding I, I, that was almost virtuoso that the end you know that that scene yeah. at the end of that episode it, it's you know technically it was stunning as as i talked about um this is less showy but in a lot of ways feels more accomplished it, I the think. Thing, because it's it's on, it's on a bigger scale and it's using a far larger arena it's using a far more people so it feels as though it should be showier it feels far grander it feels you no know, it has that 
I mean, I mean, there's a very literal carnival atmosphere to it, and the way it's all set up with the performers and all the rest of it. But it feels like that sort of environment. Whereas the the Red Wedding, it's in a church, it's in a septum or it's in a church, whatever you want to fucking call it. And they're, it's all confined, it's all dark, it's all grey. Whereas this, it's fucking jovial, it's funny, it's midgets fighting, everyone's laughing and drinking and all the rest of it. And it's 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 a good time. And it's just a, a, a direct opposite, a direct comparison to what we had with it, the Red Wedding. Yeah, it is. And, and I, I just think even... Even in the direction, in the choices that have been made as to what is going to be shown to us and when and how people are going to convey things and all of that, the, the Red Wedding was was not subtle. It no. worked very well, but it was not subtle. Like I say, it was almost virtuoso in the way it did it. It was totally in your face. And look how good we actually are. Like, yeah. look at our massive dick. That was the Red Wedding. This is more quietly confident. Like, there is some stunning stuff in here um the, the misdirection at play is absolutely amazing um and it at no point do they feel the need to scream it from the rooftops is a thing this is yeah. this is very much understated all of this stuff and and the first instance of that there is a absolutely lovely shot uh whilst um whilst they they're kissing at the end of the ceremony whilst they're sealing their vows we don't see Joffrey and Marjorie, we stay in a really fucking tight close-up with Olena. Yeah. It is more... It, whoever's directing the episode has decided that her reaction to this is more important to us than seeing the actual kiss. Now, I'll be careful with spoilers, obviously, but yeah. first time out viewing, this is the kind of shit that can wash straight over you if you're not oh, paying attention. You know, and she's talked about how she feels about this whole wedding for weeks and weeks now yeah. um, so this can wash straight over you but there is a very clear signifier there that she is an important person in this couple's relationship and where it's going to go and in the events that are going to transpire well yeah uh, I mean, all, all the way along all we've had and we, we've been introduced to marjorie's father but it's no it's forgettable it, you know, it, i say it is no, it's there for the sake of being there her key relationship is with elena and yeah. the the no, she is the matriarch of the family. She's the one who does all the all the dealings with the you know, with the small council and the you know, the hand of the king and all that sort of shit. Not the lord of that of that um, of that family. So no, she she is set up to be so important, but in such an understated way, you just kind of think of her as being like a dodgy old bat who speaks her mind. Yeah, uh, the the decision to stay with her is is wonderful. It's it's almost. It kind of washes over you, yeah, because you think of her as like the, the doddy old bat and, and the matriarch and what have you, much in the same way that more traditionally in a rom-com, you might cut to the mother of the bride crying or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it's that kind of thing. But that's very clearly not the emotion on her face. She looks yeah. stern. Um, what a fucking fantastic choice that was like yeah. in, in terms of it's all about what you show the audience that is visual storytelling and it's yeah. that's top-notch stuff but like i say not showy this isn't the red wedding yeah this is very very subtle um and then and then they follow it up and this time i'm going to praise the writing rather than direction but they follow it up then with elena's speech to sansa which is which again is wonderful you know imagine killing someone at a wedding she says yeah. something like that lovely foreshadowing but yes. of course you don't see it coming because you just think she's actually calling back not throwing forward yes um very the misdirection of play as i say in this scene is yeah. is top notch it's absolutely this is a proper like murder mystery 
level misdirection going on. It's it's yes. excellent. It is. Um, it's brilliant. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> possibly my favourite two shots of this episode. There is a look from Oberyn to Loris Tyrell and back. Yes. And you can just hear the clacking of fanfic keyboards across the world <laughs> going. Like, just both of them just peak smolder at each other. Yeah. Just, ah, oh, what, just wonderful. So much is said without anything being said. Yes. Um, great, great stuff. Um, so, and then um, Jamie kind of breaks them up and, and, and comes to talk to, to Loris and gives him a, a kind of, it it feels equal parts threat and like a genuine warning. Yeah. Like it's it's really well handled because I think were it more clumsily written and certainly were it more clumsily performed, it could very easily fall into the realms of I'm going to strong arm you to stay away from the woman I love. Yeah. And there's an element of that in there, but then there's also he manages to pull it off with an element of an overprotective big brother, yeah. and he also manages to pull it off with an element of look, look, let me tell you, I fucking grew up with this crazy bitch. Yeah, like I, I, I know shit. I I know shit. Like you don't want any of this, pal. Like th- there's an element of that to it as well. Yes. Um, it's it's a very it's a very thin line that he's walking, but he does it perfectly, and it's great. I mean, look, I'll, I'll I'll fucking sing Jamie's praises for the entirety of this fucking show, but this is a, a great great scene. Yeah, um, um, I mean, it's it's good, and I think that if it's I think it's bookended or certainly followed by Cersei doing the same fucking thing to it, somebody else. It's exactly, and the basically the latter half of this scene is just a stage for Cersei, and yes. it's wonderful. She's wonderful, just completely fucking with everyone just because she can yeah she's got, she doesn't want to be there she's like, well, fuck it. i'm gonna yeah. do i'm gonna have some fucking fun anyway um so you know she calls um Pycelle off a off a young girl like youngish girl and you know, threatens him with feeding him to the dogs because why the fuck not uh you know she you know, and you know, reminds him that actually yeah okay joffrey might have married marjorie but she's still the fucking queen just because why the fuck not who's he gonna complain to yeah yeah, and, and, and you yeah, know, we, really well. we, we spoke about how Tyrion felt out of character earlier on, but this is a prime example of like when you've got somebody who knows a character yes. writing a character and playing a character, this is what you get. Like, this is peak Cersei, isn't it? She is fucking amazing. Like, yes. she's just, when she's this good, when she's handled this well, she's absolutely spellbinding. Yeah, um, definitely. But then there are other times where people just don't know how to handle Cersei at all, and she's awful, unfortunately. Um, but that's <laughs> I mean, much later on. Yeah, I mean, I think we've said this in the past, is that generally when they're following Cersei from the book, yeah, she's fine. It's when there's nothing to refer back to, she and she becomes a pantomime villain in sort of seasons six, seven, and eight. That's kind of when it, it becomes problematic, really, because as I said, they don't understand the character. No. And the person who does understand it better than anybody else isn't now at the wheel yeah but but that's that's not the case here it's clearly somebody that does understand the character and actually again credit to the direction in the way that it's it's almost unbroken this you, you just get yeah. this run of Cersei just sashaying around the wedding breakfast from character to character to character just yeah, just just Cutting right, stick, down. Sticking, a, sticking a knife in. Yeah. Saying, there you go. I have a bit of that. I'm going to go over here now. And just, just somebody else. Absolute, somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Carnage. 
yeah, leaving absolute carnage in a week. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Amazing. Fantastic. Um, I, and then just when you think it can't get any better, like that's all great. And then we get this scene with Oberyn. And he's, he's, as I said last week, he is such a cocky prick in, yeah. in, in the absolute best way. He's fantastic. He's so cocksure of himself. Like, how many other people would dare speak to Cersei and Tywin the, day he, the way he does in this scene? Yeah. But somehow he manages to do it with just utter charm and grace, like with a shit-eating grin on his face the whole yeah. time. And just he gets away with it, <laughs> and even even to the point where he sort of introduces um, oh fuck, what's her name, Illyria, um, as as oh, as bastard. Yeah, and, as Valyria Sand. Yeah, and it's like and, and straight away, oh no, I've never met any Sands. Oh, and she's like, oh, we're all no, we're all family. When I've I've got ten thousand brothers and sisters, and he's straight away, well, yeah, well, our bastards are celebrated. Yours just get married to other fucking royals, you know. Um, and yeah, again, it's, it's just he knows exactly what he's saying. Everybody knows what he's fucking saying. And it's just, no, it's one of those that's played off in such a way that it's almost as if Cersei doesn't believe he's, he would be brave enough to say it, so he can't have said it. Yeah. And it's like she, she kind of has to some, do a double take, at which point Tywin has to step in and, you know, oh, yes, of course, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Of course I know what you're saying. You know, we're not all you know, tolerant and liberal or whatever else is. But he said, you know, on the inside, he's saying, you fucking cunt, you cannot say that about my daughter or yeah. about my family. Fuck you. Go and die in your sandbox. I... I... And Oberyn knows exactly what he's saying. Well, that's it. I mean, we saw that last week. With him, we? Yeah. We, we saw that with him last week. He Every fucking word is measured. Yeah. Because he, would, he wouldn't dare say that away from praying. He, he wouldn't say that if, they were, if there were fucking hundreds of people around. Because he'd have his head taken off. Yeah. And he knows his audience and he knows his environment. And it's a, it's a very good thing. And it's something that a lot of the time in the show, people do speak out of turn for where they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, particularly you got they got away with it with um, Ned and Robert because they were all friends and all the rest of it. But there were certain times where Robert certainly forgot where he was in terms of, of his of his the way he spoke and the way he addressed people. And Ned certainly fucking dead because Ned was over familiar with everybody. Um, and yeah, it's, it's one of those. It's a it's nice to see them playing for no playing where they are as opposed to oh well we need to get this out. We don't want to spend a lot of money or we don't want to spend too much time on this scene because it's kind of boring. It's just people talking. But we want, we need to do it. So let's just throw it in as quick as we can. Do this big fucking grandiose speech to one person and then have it fall on their face. Well, what's the yeah. fucking point of doing it? If you haven't got an audience, there's no point making the speech. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's it a nice uh, a nice use of Oberyn, I, th- I thought, in this scene as well. It really, really did work well. Because in reality, he has fuck all to do with the scene, does he? Apart from, he again, he's an implied threat. Well, this is the thing. Yeah. He, he seemingly has nothing yeah. to do. But but what what they're doing very skillfully here is manoeuvring all of the Cluedo pieces onto yes. the board. Every, everybody's in the vicinity. Everybody has, has means, motive, and opportunity. Yes, yes. And there is... Almost every confrontation since this scene started has gradually escalated threat. Yes. There, there has been an element. Nobody's having a nice, friendly chit-chat. There's always an element of threat. It's, everything is very combative. Yes. Um, so it's, and it just, it, but it's so slight, you know, but it's just giving that misdirection to you to the point that when, I mean, and I remember after this, by this point, I was caught up with the show. So I was watching live rather than sort of um, 
on a on a sort of binge watch like I did yeah. with the first few seasons. And I remember after this day, there was a whole thing of there was a who done it going on. You know, it was yeah. it was who, because there were so many pieces in play. And yeah. Yeah, just the, as I said, the misdirection is is just awesome. I mean, we get especially with Tyrion. Obviously, everything is leaned quite heavily on Tyrion, but we get things like you know, you get lines from him like, "Oh, I'll have to find another way to thank our king," you know, and and all of this stuff, and and they constantly sniping at each other's heels throughout throughout the yeah. scene. And and I mean, you get it as well. I mean, there's there's. I mean, I I I I, bid, I did binge the season as well, so I, I start. I I came to this. Just after season four had finished, um, so I, I, I binged the, the first four in, in their entirety. But again, you said episode no. We've had the fact no, we have the fact that yes, okay, it's it's all, it's all leaning very heavily towards Tyrion. We've already seen in the last couple of episodes Tyrion is very protective of Sansa, and Sansa has been repeatedly fucking humiliated over the course of the last four or three and a bit seasons. So she, you know, she gives him the cup. So did she? I loved cup? that. That was, I mean, that was brilliantly done, especially again. when. Gives we get, her agency, um, and yeah. again, it's misdirection. Yeah, and then like, we get the fool saying, "Look, if you want to leave, come on, we'll yeah. get you out of here now. Now's your chance." So, no, people know what's going on. So you've got that. You've got um, uh, Marjorie so uh, calls out the pie. Oh, here comes the pie. So no, is she involved in it? We yeah. get this look, this fucking look from from Elena, and it's oh no, it's it's only offset by the fact that when she then calls for somebody to come and aid him or come and try, come and help him. So no, automatically, so we, there's a special cast on them, but then that's that's cast aside because, well, why would they be saying to help him if they're involved in it? So there are these things. You have got the threat of, you, know, you have got the threat from from Oberyn there as well. I, I don't know, Brienne has just you now had a run in with Cersei. We've got all these things coming together. And you're right, it's really well done. The, the, the biggest regret I have is I didn't get to have, I mean, in other areas I've been glad of it, but I didn't get to have that time to digest it because I finished it as a sort of went straight to the next one. So then I was straight into, right, okay, all the machinations that will come out next week of, well, it must have been Tyrion, it must have been this, it must have been that. Um, because that's that's the way they set it up, that's the way they played it. Um, so that's probably my biggest regret, is I didn't get to do this that way. Um, but, yeah, the way it's set up, and I can see, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a proper, you know, who shot JR moment, where you know, really people, are, people are going to be talking about this for a fucking long time. And they were. And, and incidentally, you know, the misdirection worked on me. My money was on Tyrion. Um Mine Which, wasn't because it was a bit too obvious. Well, I yes, thought. I agree. It was very obvious. Um, but then I kind of felt like I'd already had the measure of the show by this point. Well, yeah, that's, that's and the I, thing. And I, I didn't think they were clever enough to pull off what they actually pulled off. Yeah, no, I, um, for me, I thought it was a case of they've said they, they, they've very heavily lent on. It's just not going to be because they'll think they're being more subtle than they are. Yeah. Whereas, you know, actually, they, they do do this masterfully. Yes. Um, and as you say, you, you've already mentioned the, the cup, but that is such a wonderful moment. It, it gives, again, the misdirection of, like, actually, then, was it Sansa? Because she yeah. handed... And the cup falls under the table as well. Yeah, so there's, there's opportunity. It's, it, like, everything is there, and it gives her agency. That's the most important thing. Because again, now she's able to take charge herself. Yeah. Um, so I loved that. Um, Tyrion completely fucking totally owns Joffrey to, to begin yeah. with. Like yes. absolutely owns him throughout the scene. Um, even when the, the fucking dancing midgets and shit come out, like Tyrion is completely in control. Yes. Until Joffrey just turns into complete 
cunt. He's at his he's at his absolute cuntiest in this scene, which he needs to be. Yeah, you know? yeah, he has to be because I mean, yes, he's been a twat all the way through, but he's he's not done anything that's worse one week to the next. So this is Joffrey turned up to eleven, whereby actually he's he's not just a cunt. He's going out of his way to mock other people because he knows they are there and they can't fucking do anything about it because he's the king. And you will see my power because none of you bitches will stand up to me. None of you will actually say, hang on, you can't say that, you can't do that, that's wrong, reel it in, whatever else, because I'm the fucking king, goddammit. Yeah. And Tyrion is the only one who ever fucking stands up to him. Yes. Um, so it's just, I, it's a wonderful scene for that because, as I say, it isn't that that slow kind of, slow turn of the screw that the red wedding is it isn't getting tenser and tenser and tenser it's very subtle there are just all of these minute confrontations that are just simmering away in the background and that we've already been trained by this show to think will go on for weeks and weeks and weeks because you know there's political machinations involved and that's the kind of show that this is yeah um but instead it just all boils over here and it fucking floored me it really shocked me yeah i didn't um, see this coming i've got to be honest and it's gruesome as well yeah when joffrey does actually bite the farm like it's it's really really gruesome um you know yeah. not in it, a not in a cutting his head off way but just the color he goes and the way everything bulges out and yeah no the sort of blood from the note. I, what i really liked actually is um if you look at the sort of dynamic as well you've got joffrey who has been a narcissistic little fuck boy since day one when it comes to it he's a lost little boy looking for looking for his mother to to help him through and then she is the fucking wounded animal she's the mother who's watching her child die and will fucking shout scream out the heavens and the earth until she gets somebody to either help him or or avenge it and it's really it strips away a lot of the a lot of the character and exposes a little bit of humanity which i thought was a really nice touch because we won't fucking see it again no um yeah it, it, everything about this scene is is so well handled and, and more than anything it's a shocking death it's mm. one that's been earned because every yes. single character there has a reason to want him dead yeah. we as an audience want him dead yeah and so everything he has done since fucking day one has brought him to this point it's one of the he's one of the few characters who has followed uh, a, a narrative line he's followed a through line he was a cunt he got being more of a cunt even more of a cunt even more of a cunt oh now he's dead yeah, because so whilst, are, we got to a point there are enough people who, who want to and can, can possibly do him in. Yeah, and, and so whilst it's shocking because it comes out of nowhere on his wedding day, no less, and he's a powerful figure, yeah. um, whilst it's shocking, it feels deserved and it feels earned. But yes. more importantly, unlike all of the deaths thus far and unlike many that will come after him, this matters this matters to everyone, and you can you get to see their reaction. You've already talked about Cersei, for instance. Jamie runs over. Elena starts screaming to everybody that that's the king, you fools. Yeah. Tyrion is concerned because ultimately, as much as they fucking hate each other's guts, their family—that's his nephew. Yes. It, everybody is concerned. It affects everyone in some way. Yeah. And I think the thing as well is, that, yeah, from Tyrion's point of view, yes, he's concerned because that's his nephew, and obviously he, he doesn't want him. Doesn't he? He's not the sort of person who's going to wish him ill or anything. But and oh, yes, okay, he's, he's a he's a prick and all the rest of it. But not only is he his nephew, he Tyrion will already be thinking, right, okay, what happens next? How does this fucking yes. go now? Because now my his no my other nephew, his little brother, who's even more fucking susceptible to Cersei. 
is going to take the throne and going to be completely railroaded by Tywin and by Cersei for the next 10 years until he comes of age. Yeah. So there will be ramifications for that as well, of that as well. So he'll he'll be thinking of how that works and how that's going to affect people. I think certainly for this season and, and even beyond it, this is possibly one of the bigger events for the whole show. I mean, Ned's death... Oh, it definitely is. This this sets up the, the rest of the fucking show because without this, you don't have... You don't have um, the, no, the the rise of the um, Dice Sparrow. Without this, you don't get... Um, I say you don't get Sansa running on fleeing. You don't get Tyrion fleeing. Any of this stuff that happens and leads up to the end of this fucking show in four seasons' time doesn't happen without this event. Without Joffrey dying, none of it happens. None of it matters. No, because this event shapes those stories because it changes those people. Yes. They have a shared experience, be it, be it a, a traumatic one. They have a shared experience that will will alter their relationships, all of them. Cersei now suspects Tyrion, for instance. Sansa knows that King's Landing is a dangerous place. She's seen so many people die. She has to get out of there. Tyrion is worried, as you said, about A, his his own hide, B, what could now happen to Shay, because if they can't find him, they'll get to him through Shay, and C, what's the future of King's Landing going to look like? Olena is concerned for Marjorie. So everybody, all of a sudden starts to follow their own path and these events lead us as you say to things like the high sparrow and all of that and so when i get on my soapbox about the deaths that don't matter this is why because when it's done right and when a death does matter like this one you see what you can get from it we haven't had any of that from rob we had a little bit of it from ned because that led to rob's war essentially but that went nowhere well that's rob's rob's war was thrown away because we didn't see enough of it and then i say it was ended away from battle so the the whole war was fucking pointless we had two seasons of wasted time yes but this throughout the next four seasons is an important event and will remain an important event yeah Um, i mean the, the whole line of succession is important as well because I say um, Tommen will come to the throne next, and then you know there, there are future monarchs beyond that. How does that pan out? And yeah, I say if we don't have this event, that that doesn't become an issue either. If, if you know if Joffrey doesn't die and he goes on to have children with, with Marjorie, then the line of succession changes. So that part of the story can't happen either. I say it's it's absolutely fucking critical. I, I think you're right. I think the where we talked certainly about Rob's death is that it didn't have any weight. Nobody fucking saw it because everybody who it would have mattered to was either dead or not there. Um, yeah. So it doesn't really mean anything. Whereas this one, the entire fucking kingdom saw it. And not just the kingdom, but all of the fucking seven kingdoms will feel it. Uh, as will Danny over and wherever the fuck she is this week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all in all, a shocking and very well handled death. And watching it for the second time now, mm. um, I'm seeing things in it that I completely missed the first time. And obviously knowing where it goes it's very very clever the direction here is top notch and like i said it's subtle it's just really really fucking solid really good impressive stuff um it's that kind of thing where it's kind of 99 percent invisible you know when something's really really fucking good you don't even notice it and that's what's going on here it's it's so good 
that you don't notice the moves that are being made. You're just subconsciously taking it in, yeah. um, which I did first time. This time, look, I'm looking at it. We're looking at this show through a critical eye, so I very specifically noticed it. First time I really didn't, though, so so hats off to them. Um, in, yeah. in a lot of ways, I do feel this is a more accomplished scene than The Red Wedding. I really do. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, uh, oh, oh, I mean, so I've talked earlier on about it being um, a sort of slightly disjointed episode because we had to hammer so much into the first half to get us to the second half, and I think that's not, I think I'll stand by that. But yeah, I think as as an episode, and certainly as a sequence, um, in terms of the way it looked, the way it felt, and of import to the show, this is probably the biggest we've had so far. Yeah, I, I'd say so, and and it's actually, to be fair, um, whilst it is an episode of Two Halves, I think it's a good episode as well. I, I think there's even in the the first half, there, I, I have a huge issue with Reek, um, but that's more of an issue with the wider story rather than yeah. what's going on here. Um, there's very little really to complain about. I didn't like that opening scene. The cut to Stannis was a bit weird. Yeah. And, and Tyrion was off character, but so you know, a couple of relatively minor niggles. I was gonna say slight missteps rather than huge fucking plot holes. I mean, only yet. Yeah. yeah, on the whole, the episode was fairly well written, I think, and very well directed. I don't miss Danny one jot. No. That helps too that we didn't have to spend any fucking time over there talking about fucking slaves and dragons. Yeah. Um the reek thing though that that is the big one for me um but like i said that's that's a bigger story issue yeah that, that's, that's a far wider issue in the whole show but that is not this director's fault he's just no, lumbered with that in his episode yeah so, i mean it, it's 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 reek and the white jesus for me um that, that do this fucking show in um yeah. they're the two stories i could give two fucks about um but yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, I said response to this episode was was pretty favourable as well. Um, even though this the events are in the book, um, people didn't see it coming, um, or at least if they did, they didn't see it coming just yet. I mean, obviously, obviously we've had three seasons of slow build, slow build, slow build. Episode nine, bang, something sensational, and then fucking nothing. Um, so I think people were expecting that to happen in this season. If he was going to be off, then it would happen at the end of the season. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it received, received pretty well, and so I certainly didn't fucking see it coming and. Second time round, as I was looking for the, the as soon as you said, I was looking for things that were going to give hints as to not only what was happening in this episode, but what was going to happen further on as well. Um, and, and there are a couple of things there which um, some we've talked about, some we haven't. Um, and yeah, I, I, I thought it was a very positive episode. It's um, one of my favourites so far. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely, absolutely one of my favourites. As I say, it's not it's not one you instantly go to because apart from Joffrey's death, which is very memorable, yeah. it's not an overly showy episode. No, it's not. Know? But I mean, this, this, it, it is, if you, if you think about it, it is you know, the, the, this whole sort of 30 minute sequence of the wedding in it's, in and of itself, it's a big set piece. And okay. It's, it's no battle of the bastards. It's no bells from season eight, but it's, it's a big set piece in itself. It's the biggest thing they've done so far. Um, yeah. It's the most ambitious thing they've put together so far. And it works really fucking well. It's really effective. Um, but as you said, it's not a memorable episode because aside from Joffrey's death, not really a lot of fucking happens in it. No. That, that, stuff, that you will remember. But it's, the stuff, especially if you're looking at it like like we're looking at it, and yeah. especially if you know how to peek behind the curtains, just the stuff, like like I say, Cersei's little sachet around the room is is technically very accomplished. Like the blocking involved with that, never mind the amount of lines she's got to memorize and yeah. think about what she's saying to each character and stay on track and on character. 
it's look yes of course it was done in multiple takes but still you need to carry that through line it needs to be consistent and that's that's not easy spending that much time with one character when they're working a room yeah like just things like that even this look i I don't mean to sound dismissive but to the average viewer it's just going to seem like another scene but when you know how much is involved with that it's very accomplished. This is a very accomplished episode. It's it's good, good stuff. It's the show I think at its best yeah, in a lot definitely. of cases. Yeah. Um it, it can handle these grand set pieces, whether they be showy or whether they be more understated like this, it can handle them very well. They do have the talent to do it and they do have the know how to do it. It's just unfortunately they seem to forget that seven episodes out of ten most of the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I think that's um, that's a fair a fair point. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's a pretty happy overall. Um, as always, if people have opinions, which people generally do, um, we'd love to hear them. Love to get a bit of conversation going. Um, you can reach out to us on Facebook with the Double M Podcast Network, uh, on Twitter uh, at DD Podcast Net. Um, wherever you get your podcast from, be it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever. Um, leave us a review, leave us a comment, whatever you like. Um, we'd, no, we'd love to hear, hear what you think. Uh, but until next time. Game over. Game over.